Ladies and gentlemen, it's with pleasure that I welcome you back to Talking Numbers. My name is Paul Jant, in case you forgot. Um, it's been a wonderful start to the 2021 series of Talking Numbers with, again, some fantastic guests. And we hope you've enjoyed every single one and the golden little nuggets that they're sharing with you in this educational series. Today's no different. I have a big name. Um, it is my co-host of Chewing the Accounting Fed, our show we launched last year. He's a media personality. He's a director of an accounting firm called The Practice. Jason Cunningham, welcome to Talking Numbers. G'day, PJ. How are you, pal? I'm well, mate. How are you? Yeah, I don't know about the big name. Uh, what's the long surname? <laughs> Cunningham, I guess. Uh, no, yeah, going really well. Pretty pumped for this year. No, nah, look, <laughs> let's, not, let's, let's not downplay what you've been able to do and achieve. And I think, you know, whether it be some of the stuff you've done on SEN, whether you've done some of the stuff on Channel 10's The Living Room, um, it's falls in line with some of the stuff that I want to talk about today, which is about growth. I want to talk about fees. I want to talk about profit. More importantly, I want to talk about value because we all know in our accounting industry, we increase our fees, we increase our profit and the value of our asset increases. So don't, don't downplay what you've been able to do. And I'm sure you're going to be able to share some of that stuff as we go along over the next half an hour. Um, so mate, yeah, yeah, look, it's been a, it's been a tough 2020. Um, you're probably sick of talking about some of the yeah. stuff with COVID now and I'm, I'm sure, but I want to go into a little bit of that. Um, you know, it's been an interesting year for 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 a lot of businesses. Uh, tough mentally, emotionally. How have you been? Yeah, you're right. I probably am sick of talking about it, like most of us. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, look, I'm going okay. Uh, I guess what I did was I I discovered that um, it was important to have your mindset right and have my mindset right, should I say? And and I guess uh, one thing I know is constant is dealing with adversity and change. Now, I know that sounds like a dichotomy, but it's actually true. Change is constant. And in our industry and in most uh, highly stressed jobs, adversity and challenges are constant. And so what I've discovered is that when I'm in a good mental health state, um, I deal with the challenges a lot easier. And so every day, I try to start off every day by doing something for myself. And I, I try to get up early, I go for a walk, I meditate for 20 minutes and then I have a workout, uh, have a cup of coffee and I'm ready to start the day. And I know that when I'm in that good mind space, I know that I deal with the challenges that I'm faced with a lot easier, a lot calmer. And as they say, you know, uh, a crisis requires a cool head. And if we can have the ability and the mindset to take a beat uh, before we respond to a challenge, uh, I find that I deal with it a whole lot better. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Mate, I was only, I'm not sure if you've heard of a guy called Grant Cadone, mm-hmm. who runs a company out of the US called 10X. Oh, I definitely uh, know 10X, yeah. Uh, and it's, it's a funny thing that you say about those, those habits, let's say. And he was talking about daily habits yesterday on Instagram and talking about how he's got five key daily habits that he follows. So mm-hmm. it's funny that you just mentioned then, whether it's the walk, whether it's the meditation for 20 minutes, whether it's the cup of coffee, doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. But they're your habits that put you in the right mental state. And that's the end of the day. Like you said, that's so important because change and adversity, 100%, we're going to get that and it's probably going to continue. So, you know, we can't expect that not to happen moving forward. It's just the, the world we live in. Yeah, absolutely, pal. Absolutely. Now, mate, um, again, uh, just sort of reflective of a little bit of 2020 and as we move into 2021 now, um, did you guys do anything different at the practice to prepare for the new calendar year, knowing, you know, whether it be sort of working conditions, working remotely, managing remotely, all the little challenges as leaders go through? Did yeah. you guys do anything to prepare better or different? 
Oh, well, so let me wind you back sort of 15 months. We, we ran a uh, cultural survey with our team members and asked them, what are the things that we do well and what are the things that we don't do so well? Uh, you know, a bit of that traffic light. What should we continue doing? What should yep. we change the way we're doing and what should we stop doing? Love uh, it. And uh, look, you've you got to be cautious of asking your team how to run your business, but understand that uh, a significant component of our organisation are our team members. And we have uh, nearly 60 team members across Melbourne and Sydney. And so therefore they make up, you know, a significant pillar of our organisation. And our team members came back to us with some things that we did really well, which we won't bother talking about. But some of the things that they spoke about that we could improve on were the opportunity to have flexible work hours and work remotely. And so in 1999, towards the end of the year, we undertook a project that uh, set us up for success when uh, the proverbial shit hit the fan when someone bit into a bat and coughed on someone in China and it went around the world. Uh, and that was that we were sort of 25 to 30% set up for the working remotely piece. Um, so we were set okay for that. And we, I think we managed to get through the period quite well. Um, in 20, at the end of 2020 and looking forward to 2021, I guess we'd made a commitment that we understood that life as we knew it prior to COVID was changed forever. Uh, and uh, how often we're at work and all that sort of stuff was going to be different. And so we've uh, got a bit of a rotation system going on uh, where we, you know, most of our team members are three and two, three from the office and two from home. Okay. There's a few of us that are four and five days a week. But what we were really keen on was to return to the collaborative piece. Now, we collaborated pretty well over Teams and Zoom and all those sort of exciting things. But what we missed was the incidental collaboration, Janso. You know, an incidental co collaboration is just when you're walking along and you see somebody and it reminds you of a client that you're both working on and you have a conversation and someone yes. listens in and they pipe up and say, hey, what about this big fella? And away we go. So we wanted to make sure that there were periods throughout the week and the month where we had the full team uh, together and just subject to the restrictions that our wonderful Premier has uh, put on <laughs> us. Uh, but we want to make sure that we can return to that sort of environment because I think that, you know, as much as the world changes, there's some things that will remain the same. And, and I think that incidental collaboration is a really important component um, of our organisation and most organisations. And it, and it gives us the chance as leaders to remind our team members um, the framework of what we built our business around. Brilliant. Well said. Mm. And again, yeah. to all of our listeners, you're going to hear little nuggets like this. Um, you know, if, if, if you've been following my series, I talk about the golden nuggets that get shared by our guests. This is an educational series. So what Jason's saying is really, really good because it, it, he spoke about frameworks. He spoke about collaboration and the importance of how all that will, will work. Um, and to all of you listening, it's probably, let me put a framework around this for a second. And, you know, back, I used to coach the practice when we had GPL back in the yeah. day of, no, oh, I don't know, mate, 2004, I think it was. Um, yeah. commenced that company. And uh, I, you know, I had the pleasure of meeting Jason and Rob Haddad, his business partner, um, back then at our conference. And the, the, you know, the firm back then to the firm today as we enter 2021 is, is very different um, this is about talking numbers. Are you okay to share some some of the the, the numbers and yeah, where sure. you are today? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, what our turnover about ten mil, a bit yep. more. Okay. Um, we have uh, we have forty seven. I think our headcount is in Melbourne. I, we have a few of those forty seven are on uh, mat leave, yep. uh, and we have nine in Sydney. 
Okay. And yeah, it's about it. Uh, what else do you want to share? No, no that, that's good because yeah. I yeah. know you know if we, if we go back a while, um, mm. you know, I still remember you guys having your office in Ascot Vale and then that moved <laughs> to you know to Carlton and then to yeah. two Carltons and then to Parkville where yeah. you are today. Yeah. And you yeah. continue to grow. So <clears throat> again, I want to talk about this, this particular session. I want to talk about growth because you guys have done that really well with the mm. divisions you've created. Yep. Um, so very different over the, I'm trying to do the sums, let's call it uh, 16, 17 years. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of firms, I know a lot of firms struggle to break through the million dollar barrier. Then they yeah, struggle absolutely. to break through the $2 million barrier. Um, obviously you've got to make that decision to put on more team members, which is more investment into the business. And mm. so the ball rolls on. Yeah. Mate, uh, in order to increase the revenue and the value of the practice, which you guys have done, what are some uh-huh. of the key things If we look at the strategy side of it? Yeah. What are the key things from a strategy point of view that you put in place? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So before I jump into that, if I can, PJ, I, I think it's very important to, to note that just because we are a $10, $12 million business, that doesn't mean we're more successful than anyone else. I think that's uh, really important. Yep. But I, but, uh, uh, understanding um, a couple of things. I remember in our first financial year, we turned over 60 grand. We're in uh, business, I think, we started on the 1st of December, 1997. Uh, and that, so the first seven months, we turned over 60 grand. And I remember our first objective was to build 10 grand a month. Um, and we were super pumped about that. And then when we broke through the 100 grand a month mark, that was a, a massive breakthrough. Uh, and we were so excited and high-fiving each other that we we built a hundred. Could not believe it that we'd build a hundred thousand dollars for the month. Uh, so that took us to say a mil a year. The next getting from a mil to two mils challenging, uh, and we got there. And then the next big challenge was to five mil, and uh, turning over five mil, which was pretty exciting. And then what happens is when you get to a business where you're turning over five mil, you go into what's called the desert. And, and the desert, when you're in the desert, it's not a really nice place to be in. Um, and there's only three options for you. Number one, you stay in the desert and you die. Uh, number two, you retreat and get out of the freaking desert. Or number three is you grow as hard and as fast as you can to get to the other side. And what, what I mean by that, at five mil, you're too small for a, a, a general manager, an HR manager, a marketing manager, a CEO, but you're too large not to have one, right? Yes. Uh, yes. And so, so, what, you so ha- what, happens is the, what happens is the partners end up doing all that sort of shit and they're no good at it. Well, typically a partner in an accounting firm, our financial services business is really good at winning work, uh, engaging with the client or the customer and leading a team. The rest of it, we're rubbish at. Uh, but because we, we're accountants, we don't like spending money, so we do it ourselves. And it's, it's, so, so when you talk about what are some of the strategies that we implemented in our organisation for growth purposes, we made a significant decision to reinvest back into our organisation and, and having... Uh, uh, team members within our, with our business that weren't fee earners, but rather run uh, the other ops part of our business. That's okay. been very important to us, very yeah. important to us. And so we would hire ahead of the curve. So we had a, we had a full-time marketing resource uh, five or six years ago. Um, we, we outsourced that piece. Uh, now, we had a full-time HR resource uh, that you know, looked after people and culture. We've had CEOs. We, we now have a, we have a general manager who, who uh, runs our business and that person takes care of all the little things that a we're no good at b we don't really think are important but are dead set important to the fabric of the organization yeah so that, that that's the first thing i think that's important the second yeah, yeah go uh, sorry and, uh, sorry mate uh, look in no order actually um having the customer at the forefront of our belief system 
uh, which drives our purpose or our mission statement. And understanding that and reiterating that to our team members and to our clients is mission critical. And our business was built on our mission statement. And as you rightly said, uh, you were one of our business coaches and you played an instrumental role um, in the growth and development of our organisation, And which is one of the reasons why you and I are still great friends. Um, and one of the things that you guys spoke about was the importance of being on purpose and, and knowing what your mission is. And, and ours is pretty simple. It's been around for a long time and that's to help our clients achieve their business and personal goals. And we do that through proactive service and ongoing advice. So, you know, that that's the that's the foundation of our organisation, PJ. That's, that's what we've built our business on. And we know that when we lose our way a little bit, it's just a bit of a reset and going back to our mission statement. Yep. Fair call. And that's good. And again, yeah, plenty of juicy little bits there that uh, all our listeners can actually write down and take away and try and oh. work at exactly what that is because you um, sort of, you, you're right, whether you're in a $10 million business or a $20 million firm or a $500,000, there, right. there is just fundamental key areas that you can put in place to make sure that you, you, you're following that framework and that path to move forward. Exactly right. And they're consistent across all their businesses, PJ. I mean, yes. you know, if someone said to me, Jason, how do I grow my organisation? The first thing I would say to them is hire the best people you can get. And, and so at the practice, we're always hiring ahead of the curve, right? Because what we, if the theory is that the partner's sweet spot, uh, you know, if they're, as I like to say, in their wheelhouse or in their lane, if their sweet spot is meeting and attracting new clients, and bringing on and onboarding new clients and communicating with new clients, if that is what your skill set is, then behave and operate in that space and back yourself in to find the work to pay for your team members. I think it's as simple as that. So at the practice, we're always on the lookout for good people. So we're always hiring. We're always, always hiring. And that's an important one because I know that we used to talk about this years ago in terms of most firms only hire when they're looking for somebody as opposed yeah. to proactive firms that are always looking for people because yeah. they know they're confident enough to back themselves that again, reinvest, bring in the people, grow the firm, allow us to do what we do well, which is go and pick up new clients. That's right. Exactly right. Um, let's talk about that for a sec, going out and picking yeah. up new clients. We spoke yeah. about what you've done with SEN and what you did with, yeah. um, the living room. Make sure I get that right. <laughs> it's good to see that had a, a great impact on your page. <laughs> no, it did, it did, it did. Um, so how important was, was that in terms of, let's call it marketing, because that's, that's yeah. marketing and putting you out there. It wasn't Rob. Yeah. I know Rob's got a very different personality and, yeah. um, you know, putting you out there. How, what, was the, what was the impact of that and the growth of what you achieved? Um, look, I, I, there, there was a lot of hard work and I'll, I'll wind you back. So how that all fell into place was that um, when, I, when we first went into business in uh, 97, uh, I'd never done a tax return before. And uh, I used to work at Ford Motor Company as a cost and management accountant. And, and my friend Rob had gone out into business and uh, we had some conversations about, hey, let's do this together. And, um, and so I was learning. I was a partner that was learning on the job. Right? And so Rob would teach me how to do I mean, I knew how to do a set of accounts, obviously, because I'm an accountant. But, you know, it, public practice is different, significantly different to industry. Mm -hmm. uh, and so a, a wonderful man by the name of John Howard uh, uh, released murmurs that he was going to introduce a new value-added tax system or a GST. And I thought, shit, here's a chance for me 
to learn this better than anyone else. And so I went to every seminar, every presentation on the GST, and I learned it better than anyone else. And so much so that I got offered a job at CPA and we, our firm contracted to CPA Australia where I would roll out GST presentations to um, my peers, to other accountants, and then got to stage to other accountants and their clients. And I went from being the most underqualified partner in an accounting firm to being one of the top two or three people in the country around a GST, which was wonderful. And then I, I thought there's something in this speaking to a large audience. And rather than speaking to a large audience of my peers, why don't I speak to audiences where they have a thirst for knowledge? And, you know, there's a book that said, uh, that uh, I think it was Zig Ziglar or someone like that said something along the lines, you'll be the same person you are today in five years' time, except for the books you read and the people you meet. And and so I, I wanted to become like a, a, a key person of influence. And, you know, people do business with us. In our industry, my argument is that clients will come and engage with our firm for one of three reasons, or maybe all three. The first is that they meet you and they like you, and there's a point of difference in your personality. And for the first 24 months, that's all Rob and I ever did was walk the streets of Union Road in Ascot Vale and talk to people and win business. And they would tell a funny story or take the piss out of something and people go, oh, you're funny, you must be a good accountant. And like, I don't know the <laughs> correlation there, but I'll take it, right? So number one is they'll do business with you because they like you. Number two, they've been referred to you by a trusted source. Mm -hmm. And typically, you know, in Australia, we love, um, you know, you've got a problem with your car. I go, Jan, so go and see my guy, my mechanic, he's the best. Hey, we're thinking about renovating our house. Oh, can I use your builder? That whole referral from a trusted source is amazing. And now if you look at it, despite the fact that we can't go anywhere, but if you look at the way TripAdvisor operates, where people are giving reviews and people are taking advice or taking counsel from somebody in Colombia as to where I should travel when I go yes. to Paris. You know what I mean? Yes. That, that whole, if I, if I walk down the street and say, I'm the best accountant in the world in Australia, we go, you're a hero. You're up yourself. Forget about it. If I walk down the street and I say, you should meet my business partner, Rob. There's nobody in this country that understands structures and asset protection and the flexibility piece around the distribution, whether it be a discretionary trust, a unit trust, blah, 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 blah. Then this guy, people go, shit, i got to go and see Rob. So that, that's number two. And the third one is become a thought leader or a key person of influence. Or if you know your stuff better than the next person, I want to do business with you. And so I became a, I started doing a bit of public speaking around a few different areas. And there was a woman in the crowd that said, gee, that's a good yarn. You should write a book. I can write a book. I'm, I'm practically dyslexic. I read two books in year 12. Uh, there was five <laughs> books on the syllabus. And my sister was in year 10, read the other three and summarized them for me. I've got no freaking hope of writing a book. She goes, no, no, Jason, that prezzo was outstanding. I go, mate, it's a funny yarn and half. It's not true. Um, it's no book. Anyway, I, I, a long story short, I, I got talking to a mate that I went to school with and and he was quite the wordsmith and he was trying to talk to this girl at work and he'd, he'd email her and, uh, or message her on Facebook. And, you know, he was hilarious. But every time he got to speak with her, he'd break down. And I said, mate, I, I could talk to the cows come home. But when it comes to the written word, it sounds like the Queen's English. Let's get together and write a book. And, and so we wrote a book. And I practically dictated a, a book. I wrote out 13 chapters. They teach you how to write books and stuff. It's a whole process. And you write out your chapters and you put six lines under under each, each chapter and I dictated each chapter and he took out all the swear words and made it sound all eloquently and, and made it flow and we wrote a book called Where's My Money and I, I wrote that about 12 years ago I think it was around the time uh, maybe it was longer it was around the time of the GFC I wrote that book and and what that did for me uh, that once I on Friday I was a CPA on Monday 
I was a published author and a CPA. And, and all of a sudden that gave me credibility. And so, you know, with that credibility, um, uh, all of a sudden I became a little bit more important in certain people's eyes. And, and I guess from there, uh, and knowing if you, and it's not, that's not necessarily what you know, but it's also who, you know, and I'm a bit of a networker and know some people. And, uh, one of my clients was, a uh, is on, was on radio and, um, uh, and he got me onto his uh, his afternoon drive show on SEN, and it started off as meant to be six weeks in the off season, and I ended up being on there for nine and a half years. Wow! And that yeah, and SEN was amazing for me. SEN for those listening in another state other than Victoria is a sports radio station in Melbourne, which is predominantly talks about AFL footy, uh, but they talk about other stuff as well. And I did a a money segment on Tuesdays from five thirty till six on the run home. And um, and I did it. I spoke PJ for 20, 25 minutes, probably 25 minutes I was on air for, and there was an ad break in between. So really, I, my voice was probably on there for 14 minutes. Yep. Uh, and uh, But nine and a half years, same time, same slot. And that radio gig, they're probably worth anywhere from one to $2 million in fees to our business. There you go. And, uh, I, and, and, yeah. and, and I still think or still believe, I thought I know, yeah. you could probably answer it for me, that people will still believe you're still on SEN now because I know people say to me, oh, that show you're doing, Chewing the Accounting Fat with Jace, is that the same guy from SEN? Yeah. PJ, yeah, I haven't been on SEN for over three years. There you uh, go. And I still get emails from clients saying, mate, love you on SEN. I'm like, what the... Are you really listening? I'm not on there anymore. So... But from SEN, that led to getting on telly, right? So one one of the directors at SEN said, mate, you're not an accountant, you've got a bit of personality introduced me to another bloke, I did a few tests, da-da-da, one thing led to another, next minute I'm on, I'm on Channel 10, um, and I was on that for six years, which was, yeah. again, very similar sort of role that I had at SEN. I was just a two-bit player. I was the least important person on the show, but what it did is it added to my CV, uh, radio and television personality. And when I lost, when SEN um, got taken over by another organisation, a lot of people got the, the Kyber Pass, I ended yes. up on Triple M. And, you know, that was with James Brayshaw and Billy Brownless, and that was a pretty cool experience. Yep. And, I, and then I wrote another book on business, which is called Have Your Cake and Sell It to the Seven Key Ingredients to Business Success. And so what I then have now is in my kit bag, and I say this uh, uh, as humbly as I can, uh, or with the humility, I don't need a business card um, because that, that, that already exists, right? Yep. And so the two books that I've got, they are business cards, yeah, yeah, and brilliant. So, yeah, so it, it's yeah, it, it's good from that aspect, and it's good from a Google search thing and all that sort of stuff. It's wonderful. It's not only good for customers, but it's good for team members as well. And yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I I've got a profile or anything like that. Maybe I've just got a little bit of a higher profile than most in the accounting industry, and that's yes. that's pretty much it. You know, that's my look. That's, yeah. And I, and I think, you know, mate, it's, those are the sorts of things that, again, this is why we do this, to share this yeah. sort of information because I still remember doing a tour 10 years ago or maybe even longer, God, um, with Ed Chan. Now, yeah. Ed, Ed Chan, shout out to Ed, great man, uh, runs yeah. Chan and Naylor. Um, yeah. Again, what he started doing, what he tells people is, I started writing a book. He's probably got yeah, four or did. five or six different books. Yeah, yeah. You know, so for you guys that are out there listening to this thinking, well, how do I start that? You know, you know, Jason just said he's half dyslexic. He's probably full dyslexic. <laughs> <laughs> and I know him well. Um, so you've got the opportunity to, to, to do these sorts of things, to put you into the marketplace in a different light. Because what you want to do is you want to, you want to be up in lights 
more than the other guy is. And yeah. that then builds a reference piece around who you are and what you are. Well, like what Jason said today, if you're going to do business with someone, the first thing we do, we've got devices everywhere. We Google them. Mm. That comes up. We go, oh, geez, I didn't know that. Or, oh, geez, I didn't know that. Oh, he's got a book. Oh, geez, I might get that. Yeah. Um, so just things like that that you said. And, of course, things like the money segments, um, there's a lot of things that you can create. Even look at this podcast. People can go and create their own podcast called The Money Segment and start getting it out there. So can I, can I tell you, PJ, just on that? Um, yeah, go. So writing a book's really freaking hard, right? It takes a long time. Um, if anyone was considering writing a book, I would say, first and foremost, get yourself a ghostwriter, which is what 100%. I did. Uh, the first book that I wrote sold about 18,000 copies now, right? And I'm just a two-bit rubbish individual who can't spell uh, 18,000, right? Uh, and so, so the first thing I'll say is get yourself a ghostwriter. But secondly, I'll say is you don't need to write a book. Write a paper. Write a, a, a white paper on the what's in your wheelhouse, what your expertise is. You know, today's day and age, right, with um, content available everywhere and social media, it's all about giving, 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 giving. If you could give um, a potential customer or a potential client or a team member a little white paper that you've written, get it done professionally. So have your, you know, it might be the five key strategies to protecting your business. It might be uh, seven ways to get into the investment market. It, whatever it is, yes. it's catchy and written in the reader's language, not in our, our start crapping on about Div 7A and all this sort of garbage and the reader ain't interested, off. big fella. But yep. if you write something and, and have that catchphrase, get it done professionally, get a, a, a copywriter to write it for you, fix yep. your, um, you know, your the way you've written it, and then get it done nice and glossy and make it as a little white paper or PDF and have that available on your website. But remember, people don't know your website exists unless you point them to it Spot on. Or, you know, uh, and, and get that out there. Then all of a sudden you become a thought leader. And, and you know, this is the space that I'm in. And agree totally. And again, if, if you're thinking about doing that, think about right now. If you, even if you want to write down a few things that you're, you can be considered the expert or the knowledge factor in or whatever you believe you can write down, think about the top five or seven things that, be, that, that becomes what we call, let's call it that your spine. That's your chapters yeah. in your book accordingly. Now, the other yeah. great thing of sort of living in 2021, a lot of this stuff is free or is accessible and it's, and it's cheap. So if you wanted to go and find a writer, you can jump on Airtasker, find a writer, mm. or go and jump on Upwork, find a writer, yeah. someone overseas that can write it for you. Go and set up a Canva account for 10 bucks. Canva yeah. give you all of the designs. You drop your copy into it, bang, you publish it within a couple of hours if you wanted yeah. to do it yourself. But if you yeah. got a, what is the generation now? Gen Y, Gen Z, is it? I, that's, yeah, that's a but question if, I can't answer. Yeah, <laughs> we're both the other side. But if, <laughs> if you've got team members that are like that, maybe you've got a daughter or a son, they know all about this as well. So they mm. would know that they can drop stuff and help you to do this. Mm. And then you're right, mm. just push it out there. And um, it gives you another reference point, which I love. Mate, we'll, we'll keep moving because, again, this is really, yeah. really good stuff, which I, which I really enjoy. Um, Mate, were there other sources? Let's let's talk because because you mentioned financial advice, and I know the yeah. the firm is you know obviously financial planning advice firm as well. Yeah, were there yeah. other parts of the business that you said right? We started off, uh, didn't know what a debit credit was in Union Road. Yeah. I went to you know obviously you, you've moved into financial planning. Um, that's that's, yeah. that, that's a major. That's always been a fairly large part of the business. Absolutely, um, yeah. Can you just share yeah, with let- what other type? What other call it yeah, arms absolutely. to the business you've got? 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we we fell into. I, I often talk to younger aspiring uh, partners in accounting firms that you need to make a strategic decision to do one of two things. You either need to do financial planning and do it properly, or don't touch it. Um, and so what we did is when we first went into financial planning, we went into it because we were referring clients off to a couple of other financial planners. And when you do that, they subsequently become an extension of your service and an extension of your brand. And if they don't deliver in a timely manner that your customers are used to, i.e. the way that you deliver your service, then that's going to damage your brand. And so that was happening to us. So we made the strategic decision to offer financial planning services. Uh, when we first went into it, we went into it poorly. We didn't hire the right people. We didn't pay enough attention to it. We didn't pay them enough. And, and we, there was this division between accounting and financial planning. Yep, pretty um, normal. Today, today we have a, a, an amazing uh, financial planning business. We have our own financial services license and have had it for about 12 years. Okay. Um, we have a, a, I used to be the responsible uh, manager of that. Now you know me pretty well and I'm it's not quite, overly responsible. It's quite funny, isn't it, that you're the <laughs> responsible manager? <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, I was. Uh, and now <laughs> one of my partners, Matt Morrison, heads that up. And yeah. I, I'd argue that he's in the top three financial planners in the country. He's a, he's a gun. Yep. And so we do that really well. Our wealth offering, we do it really well. And it's very consistent with the service offering that exists in our accounting uh, arm of our business. And subsequent to that, we then set up a, a lending advisory or a you know, mortgage-breaking business. And again, we bought in some first-class talent into our organization. The guy that runs that's name is Craig Magic Ridley. And, uh, and yeah, that business is a, a very strong and significant arm to our organization. So we have uh, three services, but how we communicate that to our customer is we link it back to our purpose or a mission statement, which is to help our clients achieve their business and personal goals through proactive service and ongoing advice. And so subsequently to that, subsequent to that, our service offering is personal wealth advisory and business advisory. And it just so happens that there's a team of accountants, financial planners, tax guys, uh, mortgage brokers, insurance underwriters, all these sort of guys that sit underneath that but the service offering is linked directly to what the customer wants, which is either business advisory and/or personal wealth advisory. Hmm. So then, if we if we if we then drill down into each of those profit centres, yep, good, we have different uh, service offerings. So, for example, if I take lending, you know, typically we were just straight uh, mortgages, and then we went into asset finance, uh, and we also do business loans. And we do, um, you know, non-conforming loans. We do all sorts of stuff there. In, in, in financial planning, we, we, we have a statement of advice fee. We have ongoing services and we have risk. Yep. Um, we also have estate planning services. And if we look at the typical accounting sphere, we started off, you know, smacking out debits and credits and building financial accounts. And then we built our, our war chest, if you like, of various different service products. Now, this is one of the things that we learned from you guys at GPL and also the great Rob Nixon Robbo, yep. yeah, and Robbo and he talks about having a, a menu of services and I kept fighting with Nico saying what are you talking about menu of services we're a professional services firm he said Jason bundle up your services as like a product and so what we do now is we have not only do we set do financial accounts you know we then start off doing offering tax planning uh, and then from there it went to business advisory strategic planning quarterly meetings monthly coaching that we have, uh, you know, how our entire ASIC offering is a, the most profitable part of our business, which is where we act as a registered office for our clients and mm -hmm. we do their uh, annual return and we change of office holders and setting up structures. That's an amazingly profitable, significantly profitable part of our business. We also offer tax audit insurance, um, you know, and, and a few other things. And we just find that if we focus 
on those pro- it's those additional profit centers that actually help you increase your margin on your bottom line. Because the biggest cost in our business, as everyone knows, and they don't need me to tell you this, is is their is our labor costs, right? <laughs> and so so we're looking to sometimes we get two and a half times or two times return on someone's salary, the senior guys, you know, and down to the grades we might get four and four and a half times. And so it's about getting that right blend of team members in your organization. You can't be too top heavy or too um, too many at the bottom. You've got to get that right blend. But when you can add on additional services like your corporate affairs offering yes. and your tax audit insurance, you throw in, you know, we, we use some terminology with some of our bigger clients. We, we do quarterly meetings. We do monthly uh, 90-day check-in uh, things, uh, meetings with our clients. We also do, um, we have an AGM. We, you know, so some of our clients, you know, you know, we might start off every year with a, uh, the development of a strategic plan. Uh, then we'd have quarterly meetings to uh, address the accountability criteria that was uh, put forward by the client back to that. And we might have monthly check-ins, how are you going, blah, blah, blah. And the clients love that stuff. And the most important, a lot of people see, oh, I want to get into advisory. I don't know how to do it. I tell you, you do know how to do it. You just don't know that you know how to do it yeah. because if you're running your own business you're running a freaking business yeah very true and uh, and if i could give you one tip on business advisory it is this see the challenge is that people walk into a business advisory meeting thinking they need to know the answers when in, in actual fact it's impossible for them to have the answers the only person that's got the answer is the client and so the most remember this the most powerful person in any conversation is the one that is asking the questions not giving the answers and so I have meetings with people and some of my senior team members do the same thing where our meetings are all just, just about asking the right questions. It's about being curious and it's about listening. And eventually, and this is where, this is the benefit of being a nut job, which I am, Jens, I haven't seen a psychologist for 20 years, <laughs> is you learn how to ask the right questions, big fella. <laughs> Uh, now listeners think that he's joking um (laughs) but but you're spot on the money there mate i think it's that curiosity side you know i was was only talking to a few people uh could have been last week even on a couple of chats about virtual lunches about uh, as kids we're good at asking questions as we all know as we're parents um they're very good at asking questions but as we're a little bit older we stop asking those questions but 100 percent, i agree with what you said there um, yeah, because we're, just on that, we, we yeah. do stop asking the questions because we think we need to have the answers. Yes. And this is the challenge. We get a degree, we get a post-graduate uh, uh, qualification, a CPA or, or your CA, and you think, and this is uh, one of the constant challenges I have with my team members, is guys, look at the financials like the client and ask questions. Yes. It's okay to not know the answer. Correct. Yeah, correct. And that, that's a great saying. It's okay not to know the answer. Mm, because, mm. you know, and sometimes... Even yeah, in any sort of sense, someone asks you a question, you better not, you better off not sharing the BS with them. You better off saying, "Well, that's a really mm. good question. Let me go and find out. Let me come back to you." Because you give them- I, I lived this on radio, right? I was on live talkback radio for nine and a half years, and I would walk into the studio sweating bullets, thinking anyone can ring up and ask me yeah. any question. Mm. I need to know the answer, and I can't be across everything. And as you rightly know, I'm across pretty much nothing, right? <laughs> uh, but so. Having the courage to say, ah, oh, that's a, you know, uh, hi, it's Paul, first time, long time caller, blah, blah, blah. What's this? Da, da, da. I go, Paul, that's a great question. That's such a good question. I don't know the answer. However, if you leave your details with the producer, I'll have one of my guys get back to you. Correct. Right. And all of a sudden, 
bingo, bango, you pick up a client. Mate, I still remember even just jumping off track for a second, but I still remember being on stage, maybe a CPA conference and um, someone asked me a question. I didn't know the answer. I said, before I answer that, I'm going to throw it back to the crowd. Who would like to give me your answer on that particular question? I was, I was at that event. I was going to say it was down at Lord. It was a CPA event, wasn't it? <laughs> anyway, we digress. Um, but, you know, sometimes you, you cannot have all the answers that I threw it back to the crowd. How many people agree with that one? How many people agree with that one? And you work your way out of it. <laughs> Mate, was there, is there anything you can share that, um, that didn't work as well that maybe you've tried and you've decided, no, we're not going to do that? There's a shitload of things that didn't work. Right <laughs> but, do you want me to pull out the list? Uh, uh, look, I'll tell you one thing. Um, yeah, uh, There's an inherent danger in growing for the sake of growth. Um, and so, because sometimes you take your eye off, your pro- off the prize. And what I've learned and what I've known is whenever we've ever focused solely on the dollar and not on who do we serve and how do we serve them, we get that wrong. Now, we, uh, we, we merged slash acquired with another business and we got that really wrong uh the person wasn't who he said he was uh he was you know and we yeah so that that cost us a significant amount of money significant amount of money okay so we made that mistake and and we also we also enlisted the services of a ceo a few years ago um and um no one's going to care and love your business as much as you do right and so you know, we were growing. We got a little bit ahead of ourselves, PJ, as uh, we tend to do, and you know, thought we we're a little bit more important than we were. Uh, and um, and so, what we we're doing, we sort of handed the reins of running our business over to somebody else, and that was a mistake. Right. So, what we've learned from that is that we, as a partnership group, group, get together and we set the strategic direction of the organisation, and then we have a general manager who implements said uh, strategy, and we are there to assist that person put that into place. Brilliant. Brilliant. I think that's a, yeah. that's a great summary there because I think a lot of people do feel like they've got to hand over the reins, but what you just said then is, is perfect. And, you know, I've been CEO of organisations before. You're right, the board sets the strategy and you, yeah. the CEO or general manager is there to implement the strategy. So they Absolutely. only do what you request them to do. Mm. Yeah, good, good, good. Absolutely, pal. Absolutely. Mate, um, just, just in wrapping up, it's been a great little session. Uh, it's gone a little bit longer, but I think the, you know, the information that's been shared is priceless, so, which is fantastic. So I hope everyone's enjoying this, a lot of little golden nuggets throughout the last 37, 38 minutes. Mate, um, is there a piece of advice? I know you just gave us a piece of advice just then as well, of, mm. um, but is there something good or bad or a lesson that you can share to close the session with? Yeah, well, I was going to say, make sure you listen to my podcast called Save My Business. <laughs> luckily, you didn't say that, it. Save My no, Business. No, luckily, I didn't say it. Save My Business. The podcast is going really well. It's, it's, it's awesome fun and uh, get some great industry titans, if you like, Jen. So, titans. No, uh, in, in all sincerity, I, I think what's, there's four things that are really important, uh, if I can share them with you. First is make sure you're clear and on point with your purpose or your mission statement. Who do you serve and how do you serve them? That's, it's mission critical. That's the foundation of your organization. And you need to share that across the board. Nothing too complicated, nice and simple. Ours is to help our clients achieve their business and personal goals through proactive service and ongoing advice. That's number one. Number two, what environment are you trying to create for your team members? Develop what you believe are your core values and the culture that you're trying to drive through your organization. And talk, so that is so important because creating an environment that's not only attractive enough for key people to come and want to work in your organization, but adhesive enough to hold on to them for as long as you possibly can. And so our four core values are that we absolutely care 
for our team members and our customers. We work ethically and with integrity. We love having a bit of fun whilst we're at work and we're really committed and passionate about what we do at the practice. The third thing is develop a why. Why do you do the things that you do? Why do you behave the way you behave? What's your driver, your why, your belief system? And for us, three little words, it's all about liberating people's lifestyles. And we know that when we come back, when we try to bring it back to center, if we've lost our way, we come back to, are we liberating people's lifestyles? Mm. And for, finally, we develop a set of guiding principles because as your organization grows, when it was just Robbie and I, it was pretty simple. It was two people, same person, same age, both boys, went to the same primary school, high school, university. We love footy. We love chicks. We love the same thing. And so it was pretty easy. Today in Melbourne, there's 47 of us. Some are born in Australia. Some are born in another country. Some are 50. Some are 20. Some are married. Some are not. Some are parents. Some aren't. Uh, and so some are boys. Some are girls. We're a diverse bunch. And so we developed a set of guiding principles that talk about the rules of engagement, how we communicate with each other. And really quickly, we presume best intention. We seek first to understand another person before I expect him or her to understand me. We exist to make each other look good and we allow each other to focus on our strength or operate within our genius. We respect our differences and celebrate the diversity among us. We believe in authenticity. We collaborate at all times. And final one is Ubuntu, which is a philosophy that talks about my humanity is born in your humanity, my happiness exists in your happiness. So those four key things, our mission statement, our core values, our why and our guiding principles is what I live and breathe by. And I, I do my very best to ensure that our entire team live and breathe by those as well. And we have an environment where it's safe to be vulnerable, safe to get it wrong and safe to call somebody out on not following either our mission, our core values, our why or the core principles. principles. Yeah. Wow. What a great way to close. So again, um, you know, that it's, as you can see, whether it be GPL, whether it be sort of Rob Nixon, whether it be other Jasons, you, you don't just develop these overnight. You, you, you develop Mate, these from, from learning from other organisations and people. PJ, I've been in business 23 years. I think we've had nine business coaches. There you go. There you go. If you haven't got a, if you haven't got a business coach, oh, I don't understand why you don't. Yep. I Brilliant. honestly don't understand why you don't. Yep. Yeah. There's another piece of advice that, um, that, that all of you listening can think about and how you want to play that. It's entirely up to you, but I think it's a, again, it gives you a bit of an idea of the path that the practice took back in 97 to where they are in 2021. And um, obviously where you're heading for the next five years is pretty exciting as well. So mate, um, Thanks, mate. thank you. Look, look, always great. Look, I, you know, I get the, the easy bit of asking the questions, you know, it's my curiosity side that comes out, but it's the, it's again the educational piece that continues to drive what I love, which is your passion for what you do. Whether it's your clients, I know we've spoken about the CPA, your big CPA man as well. Um, yep. You know, and the things that you've done in there and continue to do for public practice. So, mate, congratulations on everything you've achieved today, and you know, it, it just drives you to be a better person in the future. So, love the passion for you having our space, and I wish you all the best for the calendar year of two thousand and twenty-one. Appreciate you're a good man. Thank you for that. And I look forward to having a chat with you at Chewing the Accounting Fat coming up soon too. 100%. Make sure uh, if you're listening to this, make sure you tune into Chewing the Accounting Fat as well. So, mate, thanks for joining us and I'll talk to you soon. You too, James. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for joining us to listening to our Talking Numbers podcast. Um, we've got plenty of several big name guests to come. And obviously, if you've liked anything you've heard, please go back. 
please like it, please share it, please comment on it. Um, and more importantly, if you like what we're doing, please make sure you check us out on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Instagram, all our different socials, The Professional Partners, and you'll find us there. Thanks for listening.